how hard did you push it till I black out? Yes. Numerous times, yes. municipals this is big c and ashton we have a huge podcast today ashton who do we got for these for these people we have the one and only tron carter from from knowing up looked like he was reporting live from either his closet or potentially his uh, his little study at his at his home and yeah, I think what you pointed out, Chris, we, uh, you know, we like to pretend like we're prepared. We sent Tron a, an email with uh, some questions to get to, and we answered absolutely none of them. We had a, a fantastic 90-minute uh, conversation um, where we talked about everything from public golf to, um, uh, you know, what he's playing, what's in the bag, uh, all kinds of stuff. And I guess one thing I should go ahead and add for context, the podcast is going to start off talking about uh, Ron Bell. So uh, Tron and I went to the same high school, um, the Marist School in Atlanta, which if you listen to No Laying Up is kind of a big joke there. Uh, so Ron Bell was a kind of legendary basketball coach. Um, I think Mar- I forgot. I I'm, wasn't a big like Marist sports guy, but we won a bunch of basketball championships. He coached a guy named Matt Harpering, who was like in the NBA. And he was sort of like a legacy guy at Marist. Like Ron Bell, was, like, I think it's like the Ron Bell basketball court. But he also, uh, in his later years, also coached golf. And so one thing we talk about, you'll hear it at the beginning of the podcast, talking about some of our favorite Ron Bell stories. Um, and also just want to say, you know, Ron Bell actually passed away this year. So, um, you know, rest in peace to Ron Bell, uh, thoughts and prayers to his family and, you know, just remembering him because the man, as we say in the podcast, is a true legend. So this one was super fun because Chris and I are, I mean, massive, massive no laying up fans. Um, and then to be able to have... Uh, such a great conversation with Tron about a variety of topics. I think it's something y'all are, are really gonna really gonna enjoy. It was an absolute pleasure to have Tron on. We can't wait to have him again. You know, as a host, I really hope that we can get uh, him and um, some of the other no laying up guys on regularly. It would be it was an absolute pleasure to have those guys or to have Tron on today. So, you guys, please please enjoy. Tune in, listen. Let's go. Let's go out there i played highlands and um highlands and manzanita in one day and went out there and saw matt and i was telling him we were having you on and he was like oh you please tell him i said (laughs) yeah no he's the best man him and uh him and jason down at gearheart are just my favorite people so it doesn't I'm, doesn't get any better than that. We were joking. We were like, they're building all those new houses on Highlands. We were like, we're just shocked. No laying up doesn't have a house on this course yet. Like <laughs> they, they have one on Sweden's. We just need one on Highlands. I, I you know what? I'd be lying if I said I hadn't been looking. I was showing my wife some lots the other day, actually down down in Manzanita. And then uh, I think the thing about the thing about out there is they've got short term rental regulations so you can't like they're you're restricted on like airbnbs and like short-term rentals so i think um it would be you know it would probably be tricky to rent it out if you guys need help my wife works for vacasa um so i mean they they have over you know four or five hundred rentals within like uh gerhardt manzanita area that they they do oh, nice. all long, you know short-term rentals okay so if you need anyone to chat to you've got a guy awesome. that can hook yeah. that up with where are you guys at? Where Where's home for you? So I'm in Portland. 
uh, okay. Ashton, San Francisco. Okay, awesome. So we, we actually one, uh, met in the Bay. Yeah. But I'm the one who, uh, from Atlanta, and then I actually brought uh, my... Oh, my God, I'd recognize that anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> my, Maris golf, my Maris Golf Better Jacket, which my mom just gave me. She's like, do you want this? I was like, yeah, why not? It's like, you know, especially for SF, it's like good for the weather. So I was I'm like, in, this is crazy. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I haven't seen one of those in, in uh, ages. I'm sure mine's mine's hanging up in my parents' basement somewhere. So Yeah, the golf bag had like rusted to it. Like I had like, I had like pliers to like rip it off. Dude, I've got, but... I've got mine right here. It's uh right there it's got the yeah the old the old hoofer uh it's got the you know you know i think every year we sewed a new patch on for whatever we did the previous year you know state state runner up or state champ or whatnot so uh yeah it's still it's still kicking yeah that's that's really really funny yeah it was funny i was going through my email even i was emailing you like i realized so i work in tech so the funny thing is i realized that i actually before i knew anything about y'all I emailed Neil because I'm a recruiter. I'd emailed Neil about a job, so in my inbox, I have this very professional response from Neil. It's like, "Thanks, I'm really happy at Google, but not looking to make a change right now." And it's like the irony now of like, like, "Oh, well, you really didn't want to be at Google, and it's all this funny stuff." It's like, "Oh," and actually, my response was like, "Oh, funny to run to a Maris grad," and now it's like five years later, it's like, "Oh man, Neil spends yeah. a lot of time on my, t- on my TV these days." It's kind of funny. <laughs> what year were you at Maris? 2010. So two years okay. behind you, I think. Yeah. Okay. All right, so cool. He's a little younger than us because I was an 05 grad, so. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then was, was Bell still the – was it was it uh, Hodges or Bell as as golf coach then? I mean, Bell was running the show, but Hodges did all the stuff that was more logistical. I mean, I still remember my favorite thing was Coach Bell would – every week he would have the notes, and then he would photocopy the notes – you know, like we, we very much, 2010, 9, we're like living in a world of computers. Yeah. Coach Bell would have stats where literally he'd take a ruler and like draw them straight down. It's like, hey, Moss, you're missing too many greens. You're not, not, you're not chipping well enough. It's like, I, I couldn't tell from this fucking sheet because like, like Dude, I, I say it's like chicken scratch and cursive. Like I can't even tell what's going on in the sheet. I wish I still had those because I still remember like – you know, it was, he was like, you're leading the team in fucking fairways and, and you just, you know, you got like 35 putts around and you know, you're, you're hitting 14 greens and shooting 77. Like, how's that even possible? I'm like, I know coach. I like, I don't know how to putt. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, like it's, it's, it's not making it any better. Right. So, um, yeah, those, those are, those are some interesting days. I, I, uh, I'm I, like just him putting, putting one-handed with the cigar in his mouth or you know all of his little life lessons that he'd teach at dinner and all that was was fantastic so you kind of said as a kid you're like this is bizarre and now it's like no like this is quite literally the stuff of legends like this yeah. is oh, truly sure. truly unbelievable for sure for sure so Ashton, uh, don't you have a story yeah. of him like coming out in his underwear Wait, sh- I mean, why would you? Why would you? Why would you give the punchline of the story? <laughs> just, Damn. Well, I've got I've got a couple of good Coach Bell ones, but the one I wanted to share was we were at uh, growing up. I was a member at Cuscoola at Lake Oconee. Um, yeah, great spot. And oh my god, like did not take that place, did not appreciate that place until like right now. I have like nightmares about how much I didn't appreciate that place. <laughs> um, and the crazy part was thinking back. I asked my dad. Uh, my dad joined like right when they opened for. Um, 
a five grand initiation fee, which is crazy yeah. to think about what that was. I think it yeah. opened in '97, and I think it I was, was like say, it was it was pretty early on in the core Crenshaw mm-hmm. universe. You know, opened opened in '97. Dad joined in '98, and uh, at that point, the reason it was so great too is there was not no housing development. So like literally yeah. just like in the pine trees, nothing there. But so we took people, we took the golf team up there and we're eating breakfast. We did it like a Ryder Cup style. It was really, really, really fun. And I think the last day, uh, the way that kind of villas were is there was like a, like a main area, there's like a, a king size, like we called it a lockout. So you could go mm-hmm. in there, kind of the rest of the house and we're all, the whole team's kind of eating breakfast and we're all talking and stuff. And then like, there was like an, an island that so you couldn't exactly see. Uh, and then coach bell kind of walks out and you, know, you can only see from like here up pour himself a cup of coffee and we all kind of turn he goes morning boys and turn we all turn around and coach bell is just like no chris said underwear he just wasn't wearing anything yeah just standing there with a cup of coffee like morning boys and kind of looks at us and we're all kind of just like sitting there flabbergasted like and then he just turns around walks right in closes the door and never said anything about it yeah and like we just sat and then like 10 minutes girl sitting there quiet he goes and he kind of looked at us and goes nobody said anything huh like, yeah. Oh my God. God. He's, he was, I remember like, like we, we were up in Dalton one time uh, at the farm and he drove, he drove all the way down I 75 from Dalton to Atlanta. It's like two hours uh, with the, in the left, in the left lane with his, his right turn signal on the entire time. So people were humming by and we're going 70. People were humming by us on the right in the middle lane, just, flicking us off he's totally oblivious the entire time for two hours straight i mean honking tailgating us everything and he is just in his own world up there um god i remember there were a few few times like went down to vidalia or columbus or moultrie you know just places like that and you know hodges would have to end up driving the driving the bus home (laughs) um Neil's got a good one of him over and getting pulled over on the way to uh, Kiowa one time where uh, he was driving the short bus over there, gets pulled over, uh, I think in South Carolina, and then, uh, you know, like basically cop, cop pulls him over and he opens the door, like the side door on the bus and you know, says, what can I do for you, cop? And, he, and he's like, hey, I'm starting, you know, uh, you're speeding. And he's like, oh, I had no idea. The speedometer only goes up to 70. I'm <laughs> the cop was like, yeah, you're going 87. He's like, uh, honestly, I didn't even know this thing could go 87. So. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I a short bus one with me in this. It was like when I was in like ninth grade. It was like, you know, the, the, the chop kids going to the chop tournament. And we were on Ashford Dunwoody. Coach, he went to go fill up fill up gas and we were like you know the light is here and the bus is here and like we are to be clear if the light goes yellow like it's not even close you need to like you have time to stop it wouldn't even had to like slam on the yeah. brakes the light goes yellow coach bell just i mean pedal to the metal i mean like you're talking about a short bus going 75 miles an hour through ashford i'm like this is like four o'clock there's like we know there's like parents kids coach bell's taking a maris bus 75 miles an hour just busting through like we're just hanging on in the back for dear life it's like we're all nervous about this match and coach bell's like tossing us around in the back at 75 miles an hour through ashford dunwoody it's like wow saw our life flash between our four eyes right there it's crazy yeah he was he's a character um you know well sad he sad he passed away and everything he's a true true legend um did you guys play at Cherokee or what was your home well, course? 
all the time. <laughs> we, we kind of bounced around. We played Cherokee. We played we played at Lanier a lot. Although our joke yeah. was it's because he lived up there. He was like, oh, totally. L- Lanier, like, Chastity, all those places. Like he just didn't yeah, want to. Like my parents like, drive back up north. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, like, can you just tell? Like, my dad was funny once, and he goes, he goes, ah, Mr. Moss, it's convenient for me. <laughs> My dad's like, well, yeah. we live like in the city. Like I, I grew up like yeah. near like Chastain Park, and it's like you know, fucking hour up there. Coach yeah. Bell's like, short commute for me. It's like, okay, coach, like whatever you want to do. But Lanier, those were good courses. Like Lanier was hard, man. Like Lanier always had good greens too. They always had really, really smooth greens. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I was talking to some friends the other day uh, that I played with at Marist, and they like we were all talking like Cherokee. I think I've played Cherokee probably. I've played each course probably 75 times. I can't remember a single hole out there. <laughs> it's, it's, almost, it's just straight up like mid-90s or, you know, sorry, I got my, my uh, family just walked in. Um, I've got like, you know, mid-90s just Fazio cheesecake. Um, yeah. You know, just really, really like just not a whole lot of interesting stuff out there. You know, and, and like good land too. Yeah. So well, that's true. You know, and that's kind of a, a good even part of our conversation. I think that's um, that's true for a lot. I mean, like I had a buddy who just recently moved to San Diego, but before he left, he's like, "Oh, I'm getting to play country club with the salad." He's like, "What do you think?" And I was like, "We'll talk about it after." Yeah. And he was like, "Dude, that place kind of sucked." I was like, "Yep." Yeah. Like, I, I mean, you it's know, just late late eighties Nicholas stuff, right? You know, it's like yeah. it's fine. Um, he's like, he's like, dude, I wasn't even hitting it that bad. And just launched an OB in the houses. I'm like. Yeah, it's not it's not very fun. Yeah, it's not very interesting. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, well, yeah, I didn't mean to hijack the convo there. <laughs> no, just... that's kind of how we roll. We just kind of kind of go about it as a full conversation. But I mean, like one thing that we always press, like you know, Ashton growing up in Ashton is like, or in wow, Ashton grew up in Ashton um, in Atlanta is uh, the public golf scene. So, you know, we've kind of talked about it in the past and, you know, he's kind of said how poor it is and how lacking the public golf scene is. What would be your take kind of on the on the public golf scene out there? Yeah, it totally is. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, kind of took the first step with uh, Bobby Jones. Um, You know, it was kind of like, hey, let's make a decent nine hole course instead of having a shitty 18 hole one. Plus there was no ranges like in the city limits. I think they're, you know, making all sorts of money on that. They need to redo Chastain. Um, they need to figure that out for sure. But I think, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some good, like echelon. I used to play there a lot. I used to play at, uh, a Chasta up 400. Like you had to drive outside the city limits quite a way to get a decent, you know, decent public course. Um, like I, I grew up at Dunwoody, country club and then when i came back after college you know kind of realized i was like holy shit this is not a good golf city and uh we'd go down to cherokee run or you know stone mountain um trying to think legacy um river pines you know like chateau alon just you know places like that but it was always just a drive or it was it was kind of a hike you got the frog the place that i found myself going more and more uh towards the latter part of when I lived in Atlanta was um, Wolf Creek down uh, kind of Southwest by the airport, uh, kind of unincorporated Fulton County. That place is awesome. There's only, uh, I didn't realize till like the third time I played it, there's only one fairway bunker on the entire course. So that might've been like why I liked it so much, but it was the greens were always really smooth. Um, 
pace of play was always good and it was really good land. Like there was, it was a really, really good golf course, but didn't beat you up off the tee. It was definitely a second shot golf course. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I got to the point in Atlanta where I, I, I'd kind of stopped playing golf. Uh, this was like 20, probably 2011, 2012. I was just working a lot. And then, um, you know, it was, it was just like pay $150 to go, to go play a six hour round somewhere on a pretty uninspired course. So I, I just started going fishing up in the mountains. <laughs> I, I just started fly fishing a lot. And then, uh, and then that's where Sweden's Cove kind of came in and, and went up to Sweden's a few times, um, back in like 20, so it was 2015, 2015 or 2016. And, um, that kind of got me back into golf in a big way, at least playing golf. I'd been watching golf religiously, but I, you know, unless I was traveling, I really wasn't playing a whole lot. So, uh, yeah, I think Atlanta is interesting because it's, you've got a really, you've got great land, you got great climate for it. Um, but it's just, it's kind of frustrating just because a lot of the golf was built in the 50s, 60s, 70s when it was, you know, and then even into the 90s, you know, the 80s and 90s, it was just all real estate plays and all, all just kind of dark ages of, of golf course architecture. There's not, there's just not a whole lot of classic stuff with good bones. So kind of Ashton too I mean you've said you've said before like Sweetens kind of got you back into kind of the role of things you know you actually stayed in the no laying up house up in up in Sweetens so and you were taking your buddy Nick out there who just started playing during COVID and that literally launched him into being just as big of a psychopath about golf as we are well, I think the big thing for me growing up in Atlanta is I played, you know, so you were saying like Chastain, which Chris, for you, that's North Fulton that I've talked about. That's a good up to play because my dad's thing growing up, I, mean, I know we're going to talk some about Freddie and, and him playing um, kind of your approach there. But my dad's approach was he was like, look, you'll always have clubs that fit. They'll never be the newest clubs. But I'm going to make sure it's stuff that fits. Um, and then like, we'll find, you know, for his North Fulton's right on the corner, he's like, I'll pay your greens fees. I think it was like 350 bucks for like a year long card. And he's like, you'll never have to like, you'll never have to want for golf. But like, we're not going to go buy the five hundred dollar driver. We're not going to go play, you know, hundred fifty dollar greens fees. So I just beat up uh, Chastain, Bobby Jones before they redid it. Um, definitely preferred North Fulton. But yeah, but I think what was interesting for me, like, because I lived in San Francisco, I moved back to Atlanta, and then I actually just moved back to San Francisco about a year ago. When I lived in Atlanta during COVID, my buddy Nick got into golf, never played golf before, and we played River Pines a ton. And his whole thing is like, once you kind of got the edges, like, cool, I want to go explore some more. And then he would go explore and he would just be like, dude, this place sucked. Dude, this wasn't good. <laughs> so it turns out like he, he's the one who actually moved to San Diego. And now he's like yeah. playing Balboa and some like Coronado and some cool places. But he was just like, wow, man. He's like, this is crazy. Like I, you know, he lived in Brookhaven and just would go to River. He probably played River Pines 50 times last year because he's like, it's 40 bucks. Everyone's super nice. They regulate pace of play. Greens are decent. But he's like, it's just kind of crazy. Like he's like, I don't know why I would think it'd be better, but he's like, I should be able to think of like one course that's not, you know, that's better than this, yeah. but that wasn't his experience. And it's, it's also now moving out here and playing golf the way that I do, man, like the Bay area within like, you know, two hours, like you could never play all of them. Chris has tried. Chris is playing, trying to play every well, course on the West see, coast. That's why but... I'm, I'm spoiled. Like I grew up in the Bay between Sacramento and the Bay area. And, you know, I've lived between, you know, in Portland in and out for the last, you know, six or seven years. And 
the West Coast public golf scene, it just, I'm absolutely spoiled. Like, I've never experienced what you guys experienced growing up in Atlanta. If you didn't yeah. have a private club, you were kind of, you know, lackluster in your options where I could literally hop online and book a tee time at 15 to 30 different courses within a 40-mile radius of myself. Like, yeah. no, and that's, that's the same with Portland. It's like you guys have the depth and the quality where, you know, I think, like – you know, even Atlanta, uh, like one of the lower end private courses, like a place that I love going to, I think it's probably punches above its weight more than anywhere in the city is, um, is uh, Rivermont. And, uh, oh, yeah. they, they do such a great job out there. It's like best bang for your buck you can get for a private club, but it's, you know, it's still like, it's, it, it's either a draw. it's, it, you got to fight traffic, you know, it's still not cheap compared to other cities or other places. And it's just, you know, it's just kind of a, it's kind of a tough pill to swallow when the weather is so good pretty much year round for golf. And, you know, it's just, it's just frustrating. So, um, you know, I think like, I mean, shit, just, just talking about San Francisco, like, you know, I've never lived there. I've Neil lived out there for five or six years. And like, I could, I could rattle off 10 different public courses that I've played in San Francisco that are better than, that are better than anything I've played, you know, in Atlanta, same thing with Portland. I could rattle off four or five just, and I've been to Portland two or three times, you know? Um, but it's just, you know, it's just kind of an embarrassment of riches. I mean, shit, I would play East Moreland, uh, in Portland over pretty much anywhere in Atlanta. Um, well, that's where you know, I look just, at Wildwood. Yeah. Like I play yeah. Wildwood, you know, two or two, three times a week, you know, Ryan over there treats me really well you know, always has me out there and I play, you know, do sweeping rounds with him at 5 a.m. before he's got to start. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's just, I'm just spoiled by the amount yeah. of golf I have within, just within the Portland limits. You know, yeah. owned by the oh, yeah. city alone, there's four great golf courses owned by the city with, you know, Heron Lakes and East mm-hmm. Moreland, Rose City. I mean, you're Rose just... Rose City's awesome too. Yeah, I've never played at Heron great. Lakes, but Zach Blair and I went out to Rose City couple years ago and and we were blown away the greens were great there was like really interesting movement in the fairways it was it was was a cool spot Um, they just redid the greens so they're in the process of doing every green individually right now so i took that was the one course uh when i moved back to portland me and ashton took a uh oregon golf trip you know through bandon we stopped in coos and played golf with the guys out there and when we got to portland um I we only had one day and you know enough time to play one round and I was like of all the courses I want to take you to Rose City is the the Muni course mm-hmm. that I think I need to introduce you to and you know with the improvements they've done on the greens it's it's even better than it was. That's awesome to hear. It's uh yeah and I think it you know it definitely starts at the Muni level like so like going back when I when when my wife and I moved to Boston um I would, I kind of like the light kind of went off where like the season's a hell of a lot shorter, but the, uh, like there's just so much more public golf, like our, you know, um, George Wright, they, they, they pumped a bunch of money into that here recently. That's a, that's the Muni kind of in Boston. It's, it's a Donald Ross. It's got unbelievable bones. Um, you've got Sandy Burr, which is, you know, just outside the city limits. You, like there's like 10 or 12, Donald Ross or Styles and Van Cleek or like classic munis that are pretty well kept up. Pace of play is not always great, but, and then you've got some new stuff as, as well that you would think that Boston would be kind of the opposite of Atlanta where it's got such a shorter season. It's a more expensive place to live. Um, 
you know, and it's, you know, it's just so it's been so developed for so long and it's the opposite. Like it's, you know, cheap golf or cheap quality golf is, is plentiful. And, you know, it's like, it's, I mean, shit, even like Philadelphia, um, you know, Cincinnati, like there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places out there where it's like, I think Atlanta is kind of on that other end of the spectrum with, along with Nashville and a few other cities where it's just like, there's just not a whole lot of good public golf for whatever reason, you know, and it's, it kind of goes back to, you know, some in Charlotte's like that a little bit. I think it goes back to like cities that were built relatively recently, um, you know, kind of developed relatively recently, didn't really have that, you know, it was much more of a, uh, you know, or less of like a city emphasis on municipal stuff and, and all that. It was more like just kind of a land grab, right? And that so. makes more sense. The older the city or the, you know, the more that they had the muni- like if the city's, you know, involved in municipal parks and, you know, golf is included within that, you're going to see a lot more growth within that. And I think that's why yeah. the city of Portland has thrived so much. And the city of San Francisco is held on so tight to the three courses that they have. Yeah, the um, city has been here since like 1908. Like, yeah. it's been here forever. Mm-hmm. But the one thing we always talk about is we'd love to see a little bit of money put into Lincoln. I mean, it's just yeah, it's thinking Lincoln. To see, yeah. Oh, my God. Lincoln or Glen re- Eagles or, or yeah. you know, even down Sharp. to Sharp Park. Yeah. yeah. Sharp. So. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've had a thing going for Sharp trying to save that place for since shit since I was like 20 years old and 33 now. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. No, I was actually emailing somebody about it that. earlier. Jason Yip from uh state apparel. I was, I was yep. with him about it earlier. And, I love Jason. Yeah. You know, just trying to, just trying to get some momentum going there or, um, um, you know, it's the same thing. And, in, in, uh, gosh, there's, 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 you know, stuff like that in Detroit, you've got Rackham in Detroit, which is a great, old school Donald Ross. Um, I think Mr. Rackham was like the, he was the president or founder of general motors and and basically gave, you know, gave the land to the city and uh, you know, similar deal. Like if you just like, God, you got to realize like what you've got here. And if, and if there was any, like, it's like letting a, you know, and I guess Detroit's a poor example because they, because there's a lot of really like magnificent architecture that's been kind of, set aside or cast aside or, or, you know, um, kind of like just falling apart. Right. But, but most cities, like if you have a, something on the national historic register or something that means something to the fabric of a city, like you're going to take care of it and you're going to, you're going to either restore it or keep it up to certain standards. And I think, you know, there's a weird thing with golf to where that just doesn't compute with people or, you know, they think because it's old, it's, it's not necessarily as good when in many cases it's it's better. Right. And I mean, we all know that, especially by some of the renovations that we've seen from Doak and, you know, Hans and all these guys going into some of these courses that have might have been dilapidated over time and just what they've been able to, you know, bring back. Like we yeah. we played Soul Park within the last year. And I mean, the, the stuff dope. he's yeah. done out there is just like, I mean, it was just a plain, you know, it started, you know, they shrunk all the greens. The greens were getting smaller and smaller over time because of maintenance. They, they kept doing all of these things to make it easier for them to maintain the course. Yeah. But then, you know, Hans went out there and he goes, I can make it easy for you to maintain the course and also be an incredible player. And also make play. it better. 
and make it more playable for higher handicaps and also more challenging for lower handicaps. Same thing like uh, Denver with common ground, like common ground with, you know, Doak and, and, and uh, his guys did that. And it's, it's fantastic. And it's not a great piece of land. Like it's, you know, that's the other thing. Like you don't need a great piece of land. You just need interesting greens that roll pretty true, a good superintendent and good pace of play. Right. And that's kind of the, it's kind of the deal. Um, it's not, it's not rocket science and it shouldn't be, you know, as hard. I was just doing a podcast today on our crash course pod with, uh, I was telling DJ about wild horse out in Gothenburg, Nebraska, like, you know, a bunch of farmers basically got together, took out a loan from the bank, donated some land, built a golf course right after they did Sand Hills in like 98 or 99, hired two of, uh, Corin Crenshaw's guys, uh, Axland and Proctor. And it's probably you know, along with Soul Park and Rustic Canyon and there and probably Chambers Bay, it's like, you know, top four or five public course I've ever played. It's just unbelievable, right? And it's it just, and I think it's still like, it's, you know, it's a very renowned course in the U.S. now, and it's it's still only $51 to walk Monday through Thursday and $61 to walk on the weekends. You know, it's like, man, like, I think the game would be in a better place. Like, you want to grow the game? All right more of that stuff like more more investment and that sort of thing and not just you know because I, I think something else too is just going back to the munis it's like there's you know going back to my time in, in atlanta for instance there's such a there's such an emphasis on playing the new thing or driving you know driving to play the new course whereas that takes time right and that's what's in short supply these days even if it costs more money like you know i i'll go i'll go pay money to play somewhere but i can't get back that that hour and a half two hours that i spent going to and from in the car right and i think that's you know like making it to where golf fits into the fabric of people's lives you know around the corner from them and they can stop by and play three holes after work or go squeeze in at a twilight nine like that's that's the missing element here or, or just even going and putting right where you know in in those places kind of just keep getting pushed aside, pushed aside, pushed aside. So I think there's, there's definitely some good, you know, some good momentum in certain places. Like you look at Austin with like Muni trying to redo that, or they're, they're doing a big project up in Philly right now at Cobbs Creek. Um, we've got a success story here at Jack's beach where, you know, the city council just set aside, you know, not a ton of money, like a million and a half dollars by which by, you know, parks and rec standards, like it wasn't a massive outlay for them. And the course has gone from losing, you know, two to three hundred thousand dollars every year for the last thirty years, to being eight hundred thousand to a million dollars in the black, you know, this year without without that significant of investment and without raising rates, right? It's just you know, it's like if you build it, they will come. Like they will come, right? No, it's a hundred percent true. It, you know, in the stories like that are are endless. Like we've ran into a bunch of them where there's a there's a nine hole horse in Northern California, um, just outside of Shasta called Grape Ranch, and okay. this uh, father son duo from Utah that owns a construction company really fell in love with Sweetens Cove, and they wanted to find a property that they could purchase, redo, and kind of create a West Coast version of Sweetens. And mm-hmm. so that's what they're in the process of doing. They purchased it, you know, a year and a half ago. They're in the midst of doing full reconstruction of the course. And they have, 
you know, concerts on Friday nights out on the driving range. They're really trying to bring in different elements to kind of grow the game, bring the community to that area. And we're seeing it endlessly with the courses that we're going out to. We're like Coos Bay, Andre, he worked for ESPN up in up in Seattle. Um, purchased Coos Golf Club for $700,000 from the owner with a no-interest loan. The owner of the golf course gave him a no-interest loan for seven hundred k. Yeah. He now, like, they did minor tweaks to the course. They cut the greens low. They cut all the all the um, rough really low, so it was very playable, easy for the, you know, locals that were coming out. And it was just dilapidated. By the time he was done with it a month later after he purchased it, you know, he was now in the black. They were having, you know, regular matches out there. The caddies from Bandon stopped playing at Bandon Crossings. And now, you know, he has a huge membership of all the caddies from Bandon that now play up there, do Muni Madnesses on Thursdays. And they've got all these crazy things going on out there. And we need a lot more of that within golf. And it's cool to see that all these stories are taking place within the last, you know, five years or so. Yeah. And I think it's something too, or like, you don't have to, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? Like you don't have to do a whole lot or you don't have to like, if you know, golf courses, it's, it's not a, not a complex organism. Like sometimes the, the more simple you make it, the, the better, the more, you know, the less intervention, the more, the less bunkering, the, you know, like sometimes the less bunkering, the more strategy there is. Whereas when there's bunkers everywhere, there's no strategy. Right. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, there's, there's definitely bright spots. And I, I had heard that about Coos and, and that's good to hear that it's kind of come to fruition because, um, you know, I've driven, I've driven by that billboard a few times on the way down there from, from Eugene or from Portland. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, shit, you look at like, like Gearheart, same thing, like, you know, Tim Boyle just putting, you know, chopping down a bunch of trees and putting cool greens in. Right. Or, um, and that property uh, is spectacular. It's ridiculous how yeah. good it is. Oh, it's so cool. Um, you know, you look at the stuff that they're doing at, um, Manzanita, like to kind of polish that place up and take some trees out or we were out at um we're at a gold mountain uh in april uh gold mountain and chambers bay like i mean those places are fantastic but you know i I think something like i always tell them up here at our place like you know if you can like our big thing that we want to do here is is a big like big community putting course like basically we've got the putting green and we've got nine green but we need to connect them and there's like maybe half an acre or an acre in there where we could easily just connect it. And it's going to take one more guy to basically mow that, you know, on a weekly basis or on a daily basis. But, um, you know, I think they would, it would more than make up for, for that extra cost just in food and beverage sales alone. Like, you know, you, you basically come out and you say, all right, here, we're going to put a couple, couple of good Sauvignon Blancs, a couple of good Chardonnays, a couple of good Rosés, some seltzers on, on the menu and kind of a nice little outdoor bar and, and some, you know, and, and then like, it's, it's not just the golf course, right? It's like just an outdoor place to hang out. And then there's golf there. There's a place down the road from us, the yards here. They've, they've kind of done that. They've taken that. It was like a kind of a crappy 18 hole course in the gates of Sawgrass and uh public course and they they have basically taken that to they sold off the first six holes to kind of fund the rest of this stuff and um they turned it into a nine hole course on the existing routing 
kind of blew up the greens and made them really cool. And then uh, did like a three hole loop and then another like little four or five hole loop. And they call it the front yard and the backyard. And the backyard is all just, you know, fun little 60 to 80 yard shots that, you know, it's, it's but it's delightful. And they got a great restaurant there and, and a great range now that, that they didn't have before. And it's, it's kind of one of those things. It's like you don't need 18 holes even to make it you know, make it world-class, right? I mean, all three of us have played the preserve. We all know that, I mean, you only need 13 holes to make a fun, enjoyable afternoon. And, you know, talking about putting courses, I mean, the putting course at Bandon proves to everybody you put a little hut out there selling drinks on a putting course that's free. Or a food truck. Or or any of that. You know, Sweden yeah. bringing out all the food trucks and stuff that they've been doing, and having the events, and putting a tiki bar in the in the sand trap like that. I mean, those little things, you know, don't cost a lot for a lot of these public courses to do, but it's going to you know create you know a conversation where people are going to go, "Hey, have you played that course as a tiki bar in the sand trap?" Yeah, well, and even that, like, it's still and it's it's revenue that that probably otherwise wouldn't wouldn't exist right you know especially if you can get that kind of after hours that 6 p.m to 8 p.m or 6 p.m to 9 p.m in the summer kind of revenue going so yeah i'm totally with you i mean there's all sorts like there's a place called hooper up in new hampshire um shit i was down at the palm beach par three course uh back in like february or march and same kind of thing like it's you know it's 18 holes of par three probably the most spectacular land you'll find on on the eastern seaboard it's on the same dune structure as like seminal and it's got it's on the intercoastal and on the ocean uh the front nines on the intercoastal back nines on the i mean it's probably a probably close to a billion dollar piece of land and uh they've got this unbelievable uh restaurant up top and it's it's just you know and granted yeah it's a super you know high high net worth area with tons of disposable income but it's also like one of the snootiest places in the world and the fact that a little public par three course has turned into you know kind of a community hub there shows that you can kind of do it anywhere right i mean same with uh mariners out in you know the south uh south city in uh san francisco it's this little par three course that's got a great practice, you know, area that you pay 10 bucks an hour to go into. And they've got like four different greens that you can chip from all different lies. And they've got bunkers yeah. and all this crazy fun stuff in there, you know, in a half grass driving range. But it's the property it's on. It's right on the bay. I mean, half, half the course, you're basically, you know, hitting shots almost on the water. And mm-hmm. it's just... You know, if they're able to create something like that there, I don't see why every city shouldn't be able to pop up something that that is doable and usable for, you know, the entire community. Well, the other thing, too, it it ties back to accessibility, because, I mean, even like I think about, I know you're having it with Freddie right now. uh, And I think about it like my my girlfriend, Liz, she is never played really really played golf, picked up a club. And like I just got her her first couple couple clubs and. You know, I, I told Chris, I threw sort of an aha moment because he went to the driving range uh, once and she didn't love it because, well, first of all, I'm a lefty. So, like, she didn't like that I was, like, looking at her and just she was, yeah. like, not making contact. Um, but she just didn't like it because, you know, the first thing I gave her, probably my fault, was, like, a hybrid. And, you know, there's sort of this pressure of how far you can hit it. Um, and then we went to the McMenamin's Pitch and Putt when we were visiting her family in Portland. And it was, like, a, yeah. an, an aha moment because I gave her her hybrid 
to six yard hole and she almost hit it on the green. Um, and I think like Chris was saying, like when he teaches his kids, um, like, cause he's a golf coach for high school or middle school kids is, or high school kids. Um, he teaches green to tee because going back to these putting greens idea, if I, even on a par three course, like, like golden gate park, for example, I love that golf course, but like if I hand Liz a hybrid and say, cool, hit it one sixty, she can't do that. Yeah. It, it's, it's not going to be fun, but if it's like, Hey, here's to your point, a, a Sefion Blanc and you're putting it from here to the chair. She can do that. She's going to think that's fun. Well, she right? knows what success is versus like if, you know, if she hits the hybrid well and it goes 140 or 180, like that looks like failure to her when really it's like, no, right. that was a good shot. There was just a lot of other stuff that had to go right for that yeah. shot to end up in the right place. And that's like Solly, my colleague's teaching his his wife how to play golf right now. And they're doing the same thing. Like, you know, all right, cool. We're going to play. It's still a par four, but it, we're starting from 30 yards out. Or right. starting from 60 yards out and, you know, and, and kind of keeping score that way. And then as soon as you, you know, reach a certain point, you know, in in relation to par, then then we'll go back to 75 yards, that sort of thing. That's what I'm struggling with with my little guy, Freddie. He's like four and a half. He's like, we take him out and he wants to hit driver all day. And I'm like, no, let's go putt, man. You know, and then he wants to, he's swinging his, his putter like a driver on the putting green. And it's like, no, like let's, you know, let's, let's focus on making these six footers and have a little game between us. You know, like I don't want to teach him any fundamentals or anything like that. I just want him to figure out how to get the ball in the hole. But you know, I feel like that's, you know, and like, and then after we do that, then we can go to the range and he can bang his driver as hard as he wants to. But I think like yeah. the fun is in learning how to get the ball in the hole. Right. And not just mm-hmm. hitting as far as you possibly can. Yeah. And, and it, I think also solves, it also sort of solves the problem too about, I remember the, um, the podcast, uh, Andy did with, or not, not Andy. Um, one of the Friday guys, it was not Andy. They were talking about, uh, they had on uh, a representative, like the San Francisco, somebody wrote an op-ed basically saying they should plow multiple courses in San Francisco. And they had a really interesting dialogue and her whole point was like, what good is this? Which we're not going to get into that. We all know the good of golf courses. <laughs> yeah. The whole, the, other part, the whole, the whole Malcolm Gladwell, you know, yeah, bullshit well, argument. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, she was literally dead, dead, dead serious. So like we should plow Presidio and put affordable housing. It's like, I'm just going to like fade to black on that. I'm not even going to engage with that, which, you know, he did good for him. Yeah. But I think the other part too is like, yeah, we're all pro like, sure. Turn the course into a park. There's a lot of ideas, but if you build a facility where it's like, Hey, and the same way you can go to a tennis court, right. And grab a rack and just kind of bang it around. If mm-hmm. we can create spaces where it's like, to your point, whether it's Freddie or, you know, Hannah, like Solly's wife or, yeah. or Liz, they all feel there's always a place where somebody can feel welcome yeah. Then it sort of solves the problem for itself. But I think that's where, as we've all said, it's not rocket science for golfers like us, right? Like Presidio, for example, you know, now they've been doing um, on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays, you can go play the back nine, start te- teeing off at sunlight. Like that's smart, right? Like yeah. it's like, hey, I'm going to go play nine holes for my family's there. That's smart for golfers like us. But if we can also yeah. make sure it's like, hey, why don't you actually put a tee at 40 yards? I'm not saying they're going to do that, but like, why don't we try that, right? To make it feel people like, Here's a set yeah. of club, you know, here's three clubs, go to you off at 30. We're going to charge you 10 bucks, right? Yeah. That's not an option we ever see, but like, that's where I think places could create it. If it fails, try something else. But accessibility doesn't just mean it's 40 bucks to go play. That's great for the three of us who are golf sickos. It's also like, how can we build a course to actually, you know, like, I don't know if Freddie feels comfortable yet. You know what I'm saying? Like when he's seven. Oh, he like, feels comfortable anywhere. No, but it's, <laughs> but it's even like my wife who doesn't really play golf, but, you know, watches golf all the time. is very fluent in golf that, that she can 
come and you know alex can come and like have a glass of wine and hang out and feel feel comfortable or feel feel welcome there even if she's not necessarily a quote-unquote golfer you know right. uh, i think somewhere in atlanta that i think got this right almost by accident is candler park um oh, i used to live right which, by candler park yeah it's just it's like you know it's it's pretty it's pretty you know ragtag but it's like hey like you know grab a six pack of beer and one club and go out there and just hit it around right and there's no you know i think that that kind of gets back to you go to ireland it's like ireland especially even more so than scotland you go to ireland and they've got all these little pigeon pots that are you know, like there's a couple of them right down the road from La Hinch or right down the road from Valley Bunyan. And, and they're literally just like a farmer turning their potato farm or their crop for that. You know, they're just building golf holes on it, building seven or eight greens on it and doing that. And I think it's like, you know, it, it kind of gets back to, all right, this is a really, uh, you know, really like rudimentary game when you get down to it. Right. It's not, you know, it's, it's not a, uh, I think we've overcomplicated it over the last century or so, you know, especially the last 20 years or so. So. No, yeah, absolutely. No, and we, we talk all the time, especially with municipal courses that are owned by owned by the cities, you know, kind of taking the model of, of Europe or, you know, more like England, Scotland, Ireland and Sundays, close the courses down, open it up as a park. I mean, yeah, I mean, in places where you need to prove it it to be, you know, prove it as a, you know, a definite because like, I mean, shit, even at like Chambers Bay, you've got that little park right next, right next to there that probably wouldn't exist if not for the golf course. Right. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it it is imperative like on golf to kind of prove its worth to people who don't play golf. Right. Because I think there's a lot of agronomic or, you know, kind of, uh, environmental benefits too of just you know yeah it's a big plot of grass but there's also you know there's it's kind of a purifier a filter and and you know place for wildlife to live and all that as well so um you know i I think there's there's definitely a a disconnect between golf and the rest of society i think it's starting to be rectified a little bit but also like just with regard to municipal courses and city-run courses like you know you've got elected officials that you know, they like shiny things, but you've also got like kind of career city employees that don't want to upset, you know, upset the apple cart or do something that's going to be outside the status quo or that's outside the norm and really stick their neck out. Right. They're not incentivized to do that. They're incentivized to kind of, you know, keep the budget in line and, and not take risks. Right. And so this so some of these projects can be can be seen as a risk until we kind of flip the tide and say, Hey, no, it's actually it's this massive opportunity. Like the risk is leaving it as is and, and leaving all this money on the table. And, you know, and, and of course there's a balancing act there too, where you've got, you know, when you do redo the greens or you do, you know, spruce up the course a little bit, maybe the rates do go up a little bit. Right. Or maybe, you know, the course does get popular and maybe, you know, maybe some of the regulars that play there on a daily basis for, they've been grandfathered in at 12 bucks, you know, around, they, they get squeezed out. Right. But like, I think, you know, there's a balancing act there, but at the end of the day, like, all right, some of those guys that are playing there for 12 bucks around are probably the same guys that are playing slow as shit in the mornings and aren't, and aren't fixing their, aren't their fixing divots. their, their, and their the reason uh, the course sucks is because of those guys. Exactly. And it's like, you know, I think there's, there's definitely a, you know, Hey, let's, you know, let's kind of usher these guys along a little bit and, and, you know, 
do something for the greater good instead of just what's what's best for these dudes that are that are you know 72 75 years old and, and have been you know playing out there for the last 30 years and kind of running the show and you've seen what they you know they brought about right no i mean that's a hundred percent true and i mean that's Again, I think what we're slowly seeing with some, but I think the municipal, the city-run courses are probably the last to get there. You know, a lot of these privately owned public courses are new owners like Andre and, you know, like the guys out of Sweetens coming out and really, you know, bring a new flavor to what public golf is. I think it it's slowly taking pay, you know taking place and i'm excited to see what it's going to be in the next 10 20 years for well i think it's something too where it's you know it's kind of getting rid of that differentiator like instead of just saying what public golf is it's just like no like this is just what golf is you know and kind of getting rid of that that thing because you know i there's always an old saying with like i think the third owner of a golf course is the one that makes money the first owner takes a bath the second owner you know probably cleans some stuff up and maybe maybe breaks even or maybe maybe loses a little bit and then and then, and then the third owner finally you know it's it's finally the debt's been chopped down that much and and you know other people have taken a hit and that guy comes in and and you know buys it for a song and and, and there's actually some upside there so I think there's definitely a crop of those coming up, you know? And, and we just need more sample size, right? Cause I think that's, what's so great is like now, like, you know, now that we can use Jack speaks is Jack speech as an example to the next yeah. council. Now that, you know, like Chris is a great branch. You were saying that doesn't exist that I don't know if it'll work. I hope so, but that doesn't exist without Sweden's. And I think like, you know, yeah. just the sample size of like, no, this makes the difference. And also too, I mean, there's certain places where I know, again, last year during COVID, uh, River Pines was super busy. And a big reason why I think was because in a good way, those guys yeah. were militant about pace of play. They didn't raise their rates and they were like, cool, like stay like, you know, I mean, they were yelling at people on number two for being slow and like, that's great. You know, and same thing with Presidio. Like I had, a, I teed off like probably a month ago you know, if it's 6.10 and we were on the fifth hole and these guys ahead of us were three holes behind and the marshal comes yeah. up and goes, like we were on putting on the green and the marshal goes, excuse me, what the fuck are y'all doing? Like you were the third <laughs> group out and you're like, they were not nice about it, right? But they're like, we didn't think we had to come check on you because it's, you cheat off at 6.10 and you're three holes behind. Like what in, yeah. in carts, what in God's yeah. name are you doing, right? But I think that's what we need more of. And, you know, what we're trying to do also is, there's a place out here in uh, in Auburn. I think it's Auburn. Chris, you can correct me. Like Dark Horse, it's an amazing golf Love, course. Great but golf course. Are, but they are apathetic to pace of play. Like our buddies went out there a couple weeks ago. Twosome, 10 o'clock on a Friday, six hours and 10 minutes to play. You just can't go support those places because they called the pro shop and they're basically like, we're not going to do anything. Well, also, like, Dark, just Dark, Horse, do it. Dark Horse is this weird course. So it's a beautiful, well-maintained you know, mountain, you know, foothill style course up in Auburn, California. Augusta White Sand, it's a trip. It, it's like. a trip. It's beautiful, beautiful, amazing design, everything about it. But they have li- a little fucking shack of a clubhouse. They have two guys that work every day, and they're the only people on the entire course other than maintenance crew. And uh-huh. and they don't give a shit. They they literally, you, you pull up, you swipe your card, they hand you a cart key, because to be honest, this is not a walkable course at all. Anybody that walks it's yeah. nuts. Um, and 
you're on your way. Like, there's no starter. There's nobody out there marshalling the course. So, you know, the locals kind of run amok throughout the entire course, do whatever they want, you know, hit six balls if they feel like it. So, you know, it you you got to know what you're you're getting when you go out there. But it they're going to have issues over time because from, you know, the closest suburb, which is like Roseville, Rockland, you know, just outside of Sacramento, it's 30 to 40 minute drive up the hill. So mm-hmm. why are people going to make a 40 minute drive up the hill to play this course where it takes them six and a half hours to finish around? When you've got that sort of, you know, like when you're driving that far, you've got options in other directions, right? Like, you you know, 45 minutes. All right, cool. I, I got, I drive 45 minutes in four different directions and, and probably have a couple options in each direction, you right? About like you, 25 courses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and me yeah. coming from the Bay Area, it's like, hmm, do I want to drive to Tahoe or do I would like to drive to Monterey? And I can play yeah. Pop, Poppy Hills and PG Links for I play a thirty-six hole day for you know one hundred and sixty bucks. Like, I mean, again, like maybe in Atlanta, but you know, yeah. But again, there's even places like that. Like, have you ever played the Fields, Tron? Uh, you know what? Range? I haven't been out there in so uh, yeah, like not since. When did it open? Because I've, I've played there one time, but it was like very, very early on, and I think it, I think it was before the current. I don't know the current folks that bought it or or whatnot. It was yeah. like, I, I and I and I can't really place it, and it was kind of pre me understanding what I, you know, yeah. what I appreciated about architecture. You guys should really that that would be a that would be a great crash course pod. I mean, I, I think even Andy talked to the guy who runs that place because yeah. I mean, the big thing for yeah, him is yeah, Andy he was like, raves about it. Yeah, yeah, he was like, all I, he's like, we tell people, he's like, all we give a shit about is you know thirty yards and in basically. And he said he's like, and that's what I love. If you know the area like you do, he's like, it's Lagrange, man. He's like, I could yeah. mow the fairways tighter and charge five more bucks, but people here would just rather it be cheaper. And I'm just going to give all the attention to where the scoring is. And I went out there. It was it was dead. I mean, we went, we went out there, you know, like December. My buddy Nick was blown away. I mean, like we had a two-hour frost delay and still played four, and still played 45 holes. I mean, it was a great, great, great track because they built some new stuff. But, but that's the point is like pace of play was great. We got in 45 holes, super nice people. Like I will gladly drive to the fields. But it's like to the point about Dark Horse. Like I think those of us as golfers, like you go once and it's like, I don't care what it is. Like, I'm not going to spend six hours and have the staff be like apathetic because, you know, as golfers, all we really care about is, you know, value ish. You know, I think we've all, we've all ponied up per Chris's hat, pasta Tampa. We've all ponied up for some big boy courses, but you know, just solid greens, quick pace of play. And just like the feeling of you give a shit, you know, like just totally, we're happy to be here. We've been here. Just like, make me feel like y'all care. And some places just don't make you care. You know, under promises and over delivers. You always want to feel that in any in any you know facet of life, right? And golf's no different. And Mike Young's the guy. I just looked up Andy's Andy's thing. Yeah, that's it's been on my list for a while. Uh, I haven't been there, and I haven't been to Old Tacoa yet either. Up and DJ raves about that place. So, um, yeah. But um, but yeah, and it's it's something too where like you know even a year and a half, two years into Jack's beach being renovated. I mean, I, I guess we're two and a half, almost three years in now. It's like they, uh, the city council still doesn't quite believe that like the profits are real. And so like 
like Bruce, our facilities manager, and Trevor, the superintendent, who's done an unbelievable job. Um, they go to city council and basically, you know, kind of present. And after the first year, I think, you know, made half a million dollars. And because before the city had just kind of thought of it as a park that, you know, parks, not really revenue generating, but it creates public good. Right. And, uh, so yeah, so, so they went to city council and city council was like, no, like there's got to be an accounting error or like figure out what's wrong here. And they're like, no, like we're telling you. And like, and it's something where the money has to stay at the golf course. So they start, you know, proposing stuff to the city council. Hey, let's do this with the driving range or let's, you know, um, we've got this deferred maintenance with irrigation or we need to do this to this pond. And they're still dragging their feet where it's like, because A, they don't understand that like the greens at Jack's Beach are the best greens in town seven or eight months out of the year, you know, versus anywhere that has Bermuda and they've got to punch a lot more. We've got past Palum and they're smooth and bouncy and firm all the time. You know, it's, it's crazy, but it's just, but like people are just skeptical and wary because it's been, it's been a lost leader for the city for 30 years, you know? And, and it's like, what, all right, what changed? Well, yeah. Like somebody came in and gave a shit. That's what changed, you know? So and that's all it takes is a good GM, good, good superintendent that really fucking cares. Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, just like we were talking about with Coos with Andre, he shows up and he goes, well, what can we make better on this course? They're like, well, we could have the greens run faster and we could have a, a more playable course. And he goes, well, go on the practice green up there and cut it sh- fucking super short. And if it burns out, we'll stop. If it doesn't, go yeah. out and cut all the other fucking greens. <laughs> so they go up there, they come back, they're like, oh shit, it worked. And it's like, yeah, then go fucking cut all the other greens. <laughs> so they cut them all short, and then all the regulars went out, played it. The next day they come up to Andre, and they're like, what the fuck happened? What'd you guys do? And he goes, we mowed the greens. And at, like, some, it, and at some point, if the, if the greens, you know, in the next three or four years, if the greens that are probably due for you know, a makeover anyway, uh, do burn out. They'll actually have the revenue now because people are playing there. Right. Yeah, and absolutely. And you know, with, with just a little bit of tweaks they've done, the advertising they've done, bringing in youth and utilizing social media, he's really turned that place around, you know, and being so close to Bandon only 30 minutes outside of it. And everybody that goes to Bandon has to drive through Coos anyways. Yeah, it, it's like why not stop in, pay thirty five bucks to play when you're about to drop three hundred to go play per round abandoned. Yeah, no, that's a no brainer, and it's it's something too where like, like I think there's something to be said too. I was reading, I can't remember where this plan was. There's a couple of courses like this. There's one down in Argentina, um, but somebody's planning one here. I think at, at some sort of resort or some sort of it's like a second course somewhere where they're gonna do basically you know, nine, 12, 18 greens in a big field and then just set it up different every single day. So there's a so place I think called a branch kind of thing. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, essentially like that, but you know, on a very flat kind of nondescript piece of land, like there's one down in Argentina called Ellerstina. That's like that. It's like an old polo field that they did it with, but you know, but basically bring in a shaper and just do like some of the best greens and surrounds and then get some pretty durable grass and just, you know, set it up different every day, but it's, it's a course with a crazy amount of variety and also, you know, probably really easy to cut. Um, and on a small compact piece of land too, you know, cause I think at some point for me, it's like, you know, hidden drivers 
fun. Like playing a playing a full golf course is fun, but I don't need to do that every day. I, I want to go out and hit wedges and go hit seven irons and and then chip and putt and you know play play it on the ground a little bit. That's what kind of gets my juices flowing and that's what keeps my game sharp. I think if you could do that, you know, more places it would be it would be a no brainer. But it just comes down to like, you know, you gotta have good turf. You gotta have kind of a sandy base and and you gotta have uh you know interesting greens. And those are kind of the three elements, right? I mean that's basically everything you need. And I mean you know, good pace of play and you know yeah. somebody out there that's, you know, paying attention, I mean, you're good to go. Yeah. And I think also like it's you know, some of it comes down too to like it's easier said than done, but on, on some level you know, PJ of America, USGA, they, they need to get better at telling the story of pace of play, right? Because, you know, when they don't, when they don't enforce it, uh, like now's the time to do that. Like you got a ton of people playing golf, you got a ton of new people playing golf. And, you know, a lot of these people, like they're, they're not doing it maliciously even, right? They're just, they just don't know any better or, or nobody is kind of shepherding them along and kind of guiding them of like, Hey, this is a sport. Like, it's not like they're going to go out on a ba- uh, pick up basketball court at the park and, and start hacking people or just start dribbling around, you know, in circles while the game's going on. Like, no, like you'd get your ass beat for that. Right. And it's like, but you would figure that out pretty quickly or somebody would, somebody would, you know, tell you, like, it's like, I feel like we need to, have a better system for kind of onboarding golfers a little bit more. Um, and one thing I, I say it's like, so at, um, what's it called? Um, Beth page where on their scorecards, they, they actually have a handicap on every, uh, T box mm-hmm. listed. I think the USGA could definitely offer some sort of free handicap, you know, situation where you don't need to really join a membership. And there are apps out there where you can you can create your own your handicap by using a free app, things like that. But I think if more courses had that listed on the T the T boxes on the scorecards and when you went in and paid, stated like, hey, just you know, play according, play your your tee box according to your handicap, and yeah. and if the starter pushed that again, you know when you went up to play, and people didn't under or didn't have that concept that they had to play from the tips or they had to play just from the one ups. Yeah, they have I to think play there's from these a, deep. There's always a pride factor, though, right? Like yeah. it's always you know people always think they're better or they feel like they're not getting their money's worth. Where you know I think there's a, a movement afoot to make it more about fun. Right. And make it, Hey, like, you know, you're not, most people out there aren't going out and shooting 75 or scaring par. Like what's the difference between shooting 93 and 89? Well, on the 89, you're probably going to have more fun. Right. And if you played from 400 yards farther up or 700 yards farther up and lost three less T balls and played in 10 minutes faster. Yeah. You're, you know, and if, and if your thing is going out and drinking beers, well, if you play from shorter up, you got more time to drink beers out there, right? Like, you know, like that's more, that's less, that's less yardage you have to conquer. Right. So, you know, it's just a matter of like, like who doesn't, you know, like, and I mean, really like if you are legitimately trying to get better, like working on your wedges and and having a bunch of shorter clubs in your hands, how you're going to get better, right? You're going to kind of hone that in and, and learn how to score. And then, and then you can move back once you start doing that. So, yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, coaching in high school, that's kind of one thing that I, that I teach to my, to my kids is 
there's there's no there's no you're not getting anything of hitting from the far backs. You're you're actually deterring yourself from wanting to come out as much as you would because if like you just said, if you go from hitting from from the back tees and you shoot an 89 90 and then you and then I move you up two tees and you're shooting, you know, you're hitting from 5400 yards and you shoot a 78 which one was more enjoyable? Which one did you enjoy more? And I force the kids to do that. So, and, and I don't ever do cuts on my teams. I let anybody that comes out can come out and be on my team. No matter the level of play, I always have spare clubs. I always have, you know, anything I need to give to these kids to outfit them. And those kids, I always start green, green back. And I've had a 90% return of kids come back to play on my team the next year and are in better condition. No, you know, know everything they need to know. They've hung out with the rest of the team and, and been out playing in the off season. And it's just by starting them off that way and teaching them, you know, the proper yeah. etiquette and way of going about it and teaching them how it's fun. I mean, you don't need to, you don't need to go back and hit from that far back. It's, it's a simple game. Totally. If you make it simple. And it's, you know, it's something too, where like kind of going back to the original combo we were having in the beginning, like I was one of those kids too. I, I never had, I don't think I ever had a new set of irons until, um, I don't think I ever had a new set of irons until we started working with Callaway <laughs> with like the beginning of NLU. I always played, you know, I bought a set of irons off a neighbor of mine, uh, you know, it, during college, I had a set of nine Titleist 962s growing up. I had a set of, I bought a set of title or a Callaway X14 Pros off of one of my teammates. So our buddy still then, plays those Titleist yeah. clubs. Or he actually the, just switched to the new Srixons, but he played okay. the 962s up to maybe about four months ago. That's one. Yeah, I started with some Tommy Armor 845s and then that I went to the 962s. And then I think I had like a mixed set of like nine 981s and 990s. And I wish I could go back and like play a more forgiving iron in high school because I probably, my irons would have been a lot better. Um, they were pretty, they were pretty unforgiving. Um, but, but yeah. And then I played a, uh, I played a Titleist 975J uh, and, and I could hit that thing off the deck. I could work a draw off the deck. Like it was, it was like having a 15th club in my bag, but it was, you know, it was the same kind of thing where like, I would I would get new wedges, but I played the same putter all through high school. I would get, you know, new wedges every eighteen months or so because the grooves would wear out. But otherwise, like, it wasn't about the equipment, right? It was about, you know, beating balls out in the range and and learning my swing, right? Yeah, and I mean, creating those you know those lasting relationships too with the people that you have on your golf team, and you know, enjoying like I don't think I even cared what clubs i had at that point all my clubs came my dad would work for a construction company and they had like three or four golf tournaments every year and my dad was such a shitty golfer that his handicap always he, he would have his he would have his year round every fucking tournament and yeah. so my dad would shoot 110 on on average when we'd go out and play God, your, your dad sounds a lot like my dad i don't think uh, and, and my dad was shooting 110 without you know with three mulligans and well my dad loves all the gimmick clubs you know he had the alien yeah. wedge and he had like all of those like the the spinny the pure like, spin the, diamond the face pure wedge, spin yeah. diamond face wedge anything that would improve his game he was about it yeah 
And so they would go play these tournaments, and he would win. Everybody would throw a fucking fit because my dad would shoot like a 91, and with this 32 handicap, he would like demolish the field. And so he'd always come home with like new sets of clubs or whatever the the prize was. And so I always got my dad's hand me downs. So it was I always had pretty good clubs because my dad was always winning new ones at the at the tournaments. So, but. I don't think I ever cared or looked at what I had. It was more of just going out and working on my game and, and yeah. really focusing totally. on that. So it must have been nice being a lefty. My dad didn't know what to do. Like, I mean, we, yeah. we went to we went to the plate against sports over by Chastain Park, and I played Cleveland TA sevens until high school, and then I got custom fit for some Titleists, and then I played those for ten years until I got my set of Mizuno's now, but. Yeah, I think those that's TA7s the were solid, though. Those TA7s were those were good looking clubs. I've been to that play against sports a bunch, bunch of times. Right over to the Publix. So this yep. guy still yeah. plays a Cleveland high bore uh, oh, yeah. hybrid, and it's this two iron or three two iron hybrid. And I yeah, mean, twenty one years. I hit it. I hit two thirty right down the middle. It's from two thousand and eight, and it's just wild. like an impossible club yeah. to take out of his bag. Yeah, yeah, it's like Scotty Shuffler's three wood, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That custom fitted true spec, and the guy let me hit the Maverick, I mean, everything. And he just goes, dude, I cannot explain to you. But he's like, yeah. this is this is the perfect golf club for you. I don't understand it at all. Like, not even Base a little is bit. probably super hot on it. Oh, yeah. But it's done. Yeah, it's like, yeah, there's no sense in changing that, you know? And then, and then Chris found the same one in, in right handed, but he has the shaft. So if I ever break the shaft, we have a backup because you got a backup. I'm, not, I'm probably going to yeah. have that club so till I like built, forever. I've worked for a golf shop in the Bay Area and I built golf clubs for a living for him. I ran the repair shop. And so anytime used clubs came in, they knew just to like call me up front because I'd just buy everything. And and so they called me up and they knew basically, basically running a ra- racketeering like pretty much like, <laughs> like I don't work for the company anymore, but basically any like, is that a new shaft? He's like stole it out of this club. Is that a new thing? Took it out of that club. Like yeah. Scotty Cameron came in, snagged it before we could even put it in the inventory. I'm like So they let shit. me buy any club I wanted for the price that the store purchased it from the the um, customer and those so, are so, those are so those are so under you know it's just underestimating the hell out of uh, oh, so out of anything Cleveland yeah. I paid five bucks for the club you yeah. know Scotty Cameron's I was paying 14 15 bucks a club for the Scotty I used to go out to I used to go to PGA Tour Superstore like right after college and I would just go remember for a while I carried two drivers I had a Titleist 983k with a Graffoli blue shaft in it and I could hit that like 260 to 275 and then oh, like like yeah or like really like 250 i could choke it off and it was like perfect thing of like above my three wood but and then i had and then i bought this and i bought that for like 39 dollars in the used bin and then there was a callaway ft5 uh it was like the half carbon one on the top yeah and that thing just not freaking the went back, but the, the no no, no. Yeah, yeah the rounded one yeah and and i had a i think i had the same same shaft in that one that that uh graphite blue and i could hit that thing different shot shape and it would you know and it was 275 to 300 right and and you know one one was a draw, the other one was a fade. Like they were perfectly complementary clubs to it's, each other. So but, you were fail before filming, Tron. You were you're you this, this was probably right when he was doing all this Frankenwood bullshit, right? At at, at Augusta. I mean so, he's still yeah, doing right the Frankenwood shit. Yeah. I mean he's still rocking we all know he's rocking uh 
a non Callaway in his bag, but we're not going to say yeah, that. We're not going to say building that on this a, pod. He's building a new one right now, actually. I was talking to the guys out there the other day. Yeah, he was... Uh, I mean, Taylor yeah, I mean, he, did he's just always release tinkering. a new version, so Callaway needs to just make him a special. Yeah, and they've got I'm all sure the technology the now to do the, you know, just to do the one-off, to do the, the milled stuff or all the, you know, all the... Uh, you know, 3D printing stuff, and now you know it's 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 crazy what they can do out there these days. I mean, so, you yeah. as a uh, you as a Callaway authorized fitter now, you know you, yeah. you should know all the inside tech. <laughs> yeah, I just I actually just put in my order for kind of coming back from lefty to righty. I just put in my order for all the new, all the stuff that came out in January. I haven't really hit it yet. Did you go Apex no, or uh, X Forged? So I'm still we're, we're we're going to film Taurus Sauce in a couple of weeks. So I'm not doing anything. I'm gonna wait. I'm doing X Forged, but I'm gonna wait to to get him. There's like a big sh- uh, grip shortage and shaft shortage right now. Dude, golf so, pride. We couldn't get anything. I, yeah. I put in an eighty thousand dollar order and like they were trickling in. Like it yeah. it was absurd. Yeah. So I'm kind of you know kind of waiting on those just so I can get a good build on it and I'll, I'll get with patrick boyd and get to, you know i'll just like i've never really i think those are the one like those those x forge i'm playing with a apex they're incredible combo set right now and i love them like there's no reason for me to switch either i just i'm hitting my irons as well as i've ever hit them before and i like i switched to those catalyst graphite shafts uh with these at the beginning of last year and i picked up like six seven yards per iron i don't have my irons very far um but they're just I, stable and firm and i was talking to scott the stallings Fuji Kuro ones too when you go okay. get fitted um the fuji Kuro pros are really really good too and i think they're okay. very underrated in the graphite space okay because yeah like i was talking to scott stallings about it a few months ago and he was saying how so many guys on tour are going to graphite in their shafts just their the tolerances are so much more precise and and you know it's just a just a much more consistent kind of trajectory and and you know spec on those um but yeah so i'm putting the kind of i've been deciding between the epic you know epic speed the epic max and the and the uh and the max ls, LS. is nice so callaway yeah. gave me one of those and it, they put one of the Lin Q, uh, Lin Q UST shafts in there, and it it's yeah. incredible. It's a weapon. Yeah, because I'm I'm still so so right now I'm still in the Maver- I've got the Maverick Sub Zero and like they're gonna have to rip that thing out of my hands because I love it I'm, so I'm, much. I'm a Maverick guy. I, I don't. <laughs> want, I, I couldn't put a new driver if you wanted. That's what that he's thing. playing. And like I played the Maverick too prior to switching over to LS because Callaway was just so kind to me when I was working at the shop, and it was it was difficult to take the Maverick out because the LS I I definitely picked up some distance, but I lost a lot of accuracy switching away okay. from the Maverick. He hits a big cut. He was hitting like rope hooks, and I was like, mm, "Not, not yeah, your fault." Co- it went completely the opposite way. So I, I had to spend a very long time really tuning it in. See, so that's where I've actually like, you know, before I went lefty, I was struggling with just a high right spinny ball, just putting way too much spin on it. You know, thirty five hundred plus RPMs backspin. So I went, you know, I, I play like a eighty gram shaft, X stiff, super, you know, super stiff shaft, and then I've got it always tuned down to eight degrees uh draw setting sub-zero you know as low spin as you can possibly get and i find like after coming back from being from left-handed i think i finally like fixed my swing by playing left-handed for a year where like figured out all right i got to get a lot more depth and you know depth and 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 height 
in my backswing right-handed. I've shallowed out my downswing a lot more to where I'm actually, now I've found that the sub-zero is actually, I'm not getting enough spin on it now and it's kind of falling out of the sky. So, so I, so, so actually went with the regular, just, yeah, just the, just the regular, uh, the regular Epic, uh, Epic speed. So I'm, I'm stoked to see how it works out because seeing like Neil and Ben and saw like they're, it's, it's insane how far they're hitting the ball. So I, uh, how, like seeing, seeing Ben, seeing, seeing Ben, Randy's tough. Cause he doesn't put any spin on the ball. And, um, and he's so, he's so like, he gets comfortable with something and then he sticks with it. And so he's really, you know, not averse to change. Like he's always willing to like change something up, but he's, it's very tough to get him to switch to something. So, um, I think he likes the new one. I think he really likes the three wood. I think he got a little bit more loft. I think he got the four wood. I think he got a little bit more loft on that. Really, really likes it. Is he going to stick with that arm lock too? Yeah. He's putting the shit out of it now. It's like totally taking, totally taking the yip out, but he doesn't use it as an arm lock. It's just like a regular, it's like a 38 inch, or 30 you know 40 inch putter but he's so tall that it just works for him <laughs> so, i mean i'm six four so the length on yeah. on standard putters have never worked for me i've always had to kind of custom build my own putter to a 36 36 and a half and i mean yeah for for his height 38 is almost where he should be at anyway totally yeah yeah no and i think uh yeah so i think it's just you know it's just a matter of kind of finding something that works like we got to figure out um we gotta figure out like for dj we got to get him figured out with like a, a really really i think an 18 degree uh driving iron for him is essential kind of kind of get rid of that miss like i i put one of those x-forged driving irons in with a 130 gram shaft super stiff super heavy and no it doesn't put any spin on it and it's just like the ultimate fairway summer fairway finder like i can't wait to take that thing over to scotland next year because it's going to be it's going to go 400 yards like it's going to it's going to fly 180 yards and it's going to roll like 200 yards so So um with ashton i actually so his bag is the most unique thing you'll ever you'll ever come across because we we spent a lot of time in the lab getting his getting his dialed in what do you play off of ashton uh 6.6 Okay. So his his bag basically he doesn't start his irons till a six iron. Okay. So he is all hybrids to his driver. So he he rocks four hybrids and a driver. So it's very very senior when it comes to his, his bag. If so you looked know, at it, you would I, think an eighty year old man hits his clubs. What's your lowest lofted uh, hybrid? Like 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 an eighteen degree? It's a 17 degree ping that we have snapped down to 15 and a half, and I hit it about 265. It's insane. It's Sick. the most ridiculous shit you've ever it's seen. Like I've got him so dialed in on that ping that it he he outdrives most people with their three woods. It's That's absurd. awesome. Like we, 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 we played this course on Friday. It was like yeah, I hit. Uh, I, yeah, I mean I forgot how far it was. It was like it was like a 400 yard hole, and I hit uh, I hit hybrid gap wedge. It's like shit. Like my god. <laughs> Hell yeah! It's, it's to the point that. where I've dialed these fuckers in so well that they just take my money all the time, and it's to the <laughs> point where I just should have fucked up a few of their clubs. Because well, you got to charge on the front end. You know, now you've proven your value. And then, I should just you know, make then, them buy, pay my money. And then they just win the money back off of you. You know, over the next eight to twelve months, right? Um, 
No, I think the one thing I found with the with the combo set is um, like a I'm probably hitting it well enough now to hit you know just Apex Pros through the bag or even do Apex Pros and then have like the MBs you know for like the short irons. But I think with the combo set that they're, they're they're blended as far as the lofts and everything, but it's still i find that like if i hit the eight iron out of the sweet spot and i hit the seven iron out of the sweet spot that that gap there is is too big right it's pretty that seven iron just goes because there's so it's the regular apex seven iron there's so much more technology behind it where i wish the seven iron was was an apex pro and then this the gap was between the six and the seven iron instead of the seven and the eight iron um but yeah i mean like what like like iron wise, what do you play iron wise, Ashton? So right now I'm playing, uh, I'm playing the Cobras. Okay. So uh, and then I've got not, the KBS. Not the Ricky Fowler butter knives. No, 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 yeah. not Ricky Fowler butter knives. Fuck those. Um, I don't think anybody, even Ricky Fowler, should play those clubs. Uh, we got a set into the shop, and even our yeah. even our scratch golfers that we had some of our sweet fitters, spot the size like, of a dime. Yeah, I don't it think was, Ricky, did Ricky, I think he might have no, played one round. He, he was played, out of those things. He's back to prototypes. They're not even playing those. And so, yeah, I but I love these, and it was a really hard, you know, in between for me. Um, and the only reason I went with these is because the Cobra rep hooked me up with them, uh, or I was so he's, going. He's scummy, Tron. It, it's all. It's yeah, all just my fun whole bag basically that. was free, so it's like it. It's it's. My bag is made up of what I didn't have to pay for compared he to pay for, He plays free golf. Just, just don't Unreal. listen to anything, Big Chris. Unreal. Unreal. Ashton, and, what do you because, play? Because he asked me the question, not you, Big Chris. Yeah, what do you uh, play, G- like, like iron-wise? Uh, JPX 919 Mizunos. Okay. Okay. Because actually very, went to Juice Bag and, and they were like, yeah. they were like, whoa, with your swing speed stuff, you should be playing blades. I was like, no thanks. Like, I don't want yeah. those. Like, I'm not. But those still have kind of the feel of them. Like yeah. the feel of a blade, or yeah, yeah. But he's got the with enough technology. Yeah, yeah, he's got the forged yeah. tours. So he's got the offset of the blade, but he's got just a bit more, you know, a yeah. bit more uh, so, of a so sweet spot. So I've got a 60, 60, 56, 52 wedges, pitching wedge through six iron, and then I have a, a 25 degree Titleist hybrid that I hit 195 on the dot. I just swing like this, and it goes way up in the air. I have a 215. He models one. it after Lydia Ko. Yeah. I hit the yeah, ball. You, well. You've got kind of an LPGA bag, which is like the ultimate compliment I can give you. Like, which is uh, which is honestly, yeah. I, that's one of the reasons I'm obsessed with watching women golf. LPGA pro. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. aspirational, man. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. So, what's your all right? So, your six iron. How far does that go? One eighty. One eighty. Okay. So basically, it's all. Um, so, it's, so it's like nine iron is. Uh, Nine iron goes one, or pitching wedge goes one forty, and then it goes one fifty, one sixty, one seventy, one eighty. Hybrid goes one ninety five. Other the hybrid only goes two fifteen. I couldn't, I couldn't get into that eight right. yard, ten yard window. But other than that, he's got a ten yard window. Do you struggle goes, like like on par threes? Do you always tee up the hybrids, or do you just throw them on the ground yeah. and? Cause that, I, because that's I, where I, I struggle sometimes with with a hybrid. Like I've moved more towards a driving iron now because I struggle like with whether to tee it up or not, or just you know, and just distance control with the hybrids is so much. I find it so much trickier than than with a long iron. Well, I think what is actually with Chris, he's obviously not like my my swing coach. One thing was really helpful when he was fitting me was the only time that I hit my hybrids bad are when I swing hard, too hard. So like, yeah. for me, it's just like. 
you know, even sometimes when I get up over like this, like we had a shot, you know, par three, I'm like, dude, like it's all about with my long clubs, it's all about tempo. So it's just like, hey, mm. chill out. Like you literally have this club because it's doing the it job forces for you. you to, yeah. Yeah. The only times where it goes sideways, I, I'll hit like this gross pole if I get too quick. But like, and then I do. But that you can go, take some off of your out. hybrids though. So that's right. the thing is he can't add more to them. But like, if he has like a two, you know, a two fifty five that he needs to hit, he can take that ten yards off the two sixty five and still have great accuracy with it. Where if he's trying to push it to 270 from his 265 club, it's going to go all over the fucking yeah, place. Yeah, it's going to spin like crazy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's the nice part with those four hybrids is like, I feel comfortable. Like there was a day where it was super windy, um, and this is counterintuitive, but I just didn't want to feel like muscling a seven. So I hit this, like, I mean, like baby butter, like just super oh, smooth. Perfect like, pro- sense. Probably 175 yeah. yard hybrid. But like, I view the reason I love my bag so much is those hybrids for me can go anywhere from like 170 to 260. Because yeah. I've got four of them, I just have a lot of options, and that's kind of what I love. Because I've got no problem hitting a six iron, but it's like, okay, like I'm usually hitting my six iron and below well. But when it starts to get to five, it's like probabilities are low. When it gets to a four iron, it's like it's like two times out of ten. So I'm just trying to to use the buzzword there's of the day. There's nothing like more impressive, you know. There's nothing more impressive than when I play with like an older guy, like you know, sixties even in the seventies that can hit his like he, he's got either a driving iron or a set of hybrids or even a five wood that the guy can just do whatever he wants with it. Like work it both ways, high, low, hit just a wide variety of shots with that same club. And like, those are the guys that you never, ever, ever want to bet against. Right. And it sounds like you're, you're kind of on that plan of like, both that way because my bag, I cut it at a five iron and I have a seven wood, five wood, three wood makeup. Okay. And so in asking and speak on that, I don't think, I would say my best clubs in my bag, no matter what, are probably my five wood, seven wood. And I can hit those on a dime every single time, no matter the lie or what, yeah. what I'm doing with them. It's in those kind of things. I think, most people miss out on with the fittings as well because if you're if you're not going in and having an open mind with that everybody has yeah. a lot of fitters have this like window where they think like everybody needs to have a three wood. yeah i shouldn't have a three i can't i top my three wood every time i can't hit it he it was absurd watching him try to hit a wood and in the minute yeah. he put a hybrid in his hand shorten the shaft a little bit i mean he's getting the distance you would get on a normal wood it's a no-brainer yeah so and it's like I go know. back to even like there was a couple summers growing up where like my dad he had a full full bag of Callaway stuff and he had a biggest big Bertha and then the great big Bertha three wood five wood seven wood and I remember one summer I just started hitting the three wood off the tee because it was so firm and and hot and, and then I remember by the end of the summer I was just hitting five wood off of every tee because I could get it out there. 250 to you know 255 and it was it was just going and but it was so accurate and uh and it was so easy to hit too like it was just so consistent right and um and it's the same thing like you know i think like i played in a lpga pro-am a few years back with jane park and she had a she had like a six wood this ping six wood so i went back to callaway and i was like hey make me make me a, like a, a like i called it the sex wood it was like a, it was a seven wood with a little bit with a little bit less loft on it kind of turned down and then this 
kind of noodly shaft in it that was it was not as stiff as a stiff but it was stiffer than a regular it was like a you know and and basically same deal keep me from over swinging and 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 i played that thing for you know a year and a half two years and it was it was a great especially when i was struggling a little bit it was a great club to like get me out of my bad habits well, and so. I think the big thing that we all know too is I think that the reason I've gotten so much better in the last couple of years is I've removed, like, I am not like one of those, like, uh, proved to myself or ego driven golfer. But I think what's always been hard for me is I have like really fast swing speed. So, like, Chris is six, full, like, Chris is uh, six inches taller than me and 100 pounds heavier than me. And if we both hit it good, I hit it 60 yards by him. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very infuriating. <laughs> But the thing for me though as a kid is because I didn't know where it was going, there was a lot of ego in the sense of like everyone was like, wow, like there was always a sense of like, look at you hit yeah. your driver. And so it's like, because of your swing speed, you should hit X. And why the expectations I've lot, are, are yeah, yeah. I've gotten a lot better where people see me in my drive on one hole and like, holy shit. And then I go up and get up on par three and I'm hitting a hybrid from 170. And they're like, but you shouldn't. I was like, no, no, no but this is that's like, sick. Yeah. This is why, like, I've, this is you know, me. Actually, what yeah. resonated with me with so much with Neil is last year at River Pines, uh, I shot 69. I broke par for the only time in my life, and I did it. I played the middle tees, and I hit my high bore hybrid. I hit 14 fairways. I had my high bore hybrid just stripe show all day. And so when I saw Neil broke par those through it, I was like, "There's something there." Because honestly, yeah, Chris can test. I have a very similar game to Neil. Like they call Icarito all the time on the course. They're just like, dude, calm down, stop over swinging, chill out. And then you that, and I was like, why are we fucking yeah. hitting driver? It's all, up, it's all up there, man. He dude, he doubled the first hole, right? Dude, like it was, he had no expectations that day. Wasn't even playing with his own clubs. Like it was, it was fuck, right? It was wild. So yeah, it was wild. Yeah, Max, Max Holmes in the group ahead. Like it was, it was just bizarre you know max is and like it was it was very funny watching him come in and try to get it in the house but he, I uh, that putt. you guys are live streaming his like the problem uh, was for like the u.s open which to yeah him it was i mean he'll, he might have a bigger moment in his life totally totally so yeah no that was that was a fun day that was a pretty fun day but yeah. um but take the video yeah. out of golf that's our i think that's what we should all do more of you know yeah be totally what's well, or or it's like hey what's you know what's more embarrassing like hitting a hitting a hybrid from 180 yards or shooting like 91 right or you know or like you know like like unnecessarily putting yourself in positions when you could be better but you but but like you won't let yourself right i think it's you know and it's a series of like little decisions like whether it's putting a seven wood in the bag or a hybrid or like me going to graphite irons or something like that where it's like hey man like you know, I'm out of shape and I don't have the swing speed I need to. I, technology and equipment can help me out a little bit with that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. But, well, Sean, thanks for um, spending so much time with us, man. I know it's been like 90 yeah, guys. minutes. Thanks for doing yeah. this. Yeah. No, all good. I got to, I got to roll here soon, but, um, but yeah, we'd love to do it again sometime. It's always fun to just kind of like unstructured, conversational format you know a lot of time people just come on and like all right i want to ask you these 15 questions it's like it's always refreshing when it's just a free-flowing dialogue that's that's kind of our gig we we don't want it to be structured we want people to you know we want you to come on be friends with us and you know enjoy your time it's every there's too many podcasts out there where people are you know asking question after question to detailed interview and that's just not yeah well, one also too, it's helpful is you guys are obviously out there enough where it's like, I mean, you know, when we do the intro to this, we'll talk about it, like, I think people 
probably know anybody who's listening to us probably knows about you guys and the origin story and there's plenty of content for people to go watch but which will never yeah. not be weird to me right like i, I always kind of go in assuming people have no yeah. clue who well, i, I even, am I or whatever weird talking to chris yeah. i was like well i felt weird. I, I wanted to not shoot originally but it's like fuck man like like, it's like i love it no that's great it's like, it's like yeah, and the last thing I wanted to tell you, just because I heard you listen to, I listened to the, the talked to the guy who sat in the Waffle House for a while. Yeah, I just thought, me, you, yeah. I just thought you. First of all, that was amazing. The world needed that. Um, but I just wanted, I, you're talking about kind of collecting stories of people who've done like fucked up shit for coming in last. Uh, <laughs> my fantasy baseball league, we've been doing it for 15 years. I'm 29, so now we've been doing it. We started at Marist. All my Marist okay. buddies. My dad's been at it all 15 years, and my dad's actually won two or three times. Like, my dad's always really good. We instituted a penalty. Dad comes in last, and we decided before he came in last that the loser had to take the ACT. And so there wasn't any videos for obvious reasons, but Mm -hmm. uh, my stepmom still, like, laughs her ass off because, like, my father at 54 years old was sitting in a room in Johns Creek High School with a bunch of 16-year-olds taking the ACT. And in fairness to him, he got a 33 out of 36. Like, he nailed it. But just the idea that my dad had to sit there for five hours with a bunch bunch of 16-year-olds. Like, I'm sure their kids were like, Mom, there was, like, an old man. Like, I... (laughs) We were actually thinking, I was like, man, should I have dad, my dad's a lawyer, I'm like, should I take the, like, you know, the bar exam, something where he's not going to get, like, a red yeah, square over the his LSAT house. But... Or, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard Wunderlich, I've heard people say an ACT or SAT, or I've, I've heard the idea, I don't think I've ever heard anybody actually follow through on it, so that's awesome. Yeah. My, my 55-year-old dad sitting in Johns Creek High School with a bunch of 16-year-olds <laughs> taking, taking, taking the test. 33 Crazy. is solid, too. That's, yeah, that's he, a, yeah. he, I, think, I think he missed uh, the reading comprehension perfect score by one. Crazy. Especially, like, like, after not having done, like, any, like, I think if I had to go back and do, I mean, I, I, I didn't do well on the math portion of SAT oh, or science. ACT. The science is so brutal. But, like, you know, after not having been in a classroom for you know like a a science or math classroom now for 14 years or or whatnot like it's i think i i would be so rusty on that stuff i think i would you know i would do well on the verbal stuff but i would i would just fail miserably on all the all the math and calculus and arithmetic even just simple geometry stuff would would be kind of a mind you know a mind melt for me so but but mr ashton is actually like a true fucking legend too i mean him and his his buddy johnny you said Mr. Ashton. Why did I say Mr. Ashton? I don't know. It's getting to the end of the podcast. <laughs> Mr. Moss. Trying, earlier I was asking our little golf group what everyone's birthdays was just so that we could celebrate them. Chris told me the wrong he told I me told the wrong, the wrong day. day. It's just what I do. So we're just going to roll with it. But Mr. So, Moss is Mr. a legend. Ashton. Yeah, Jesus Mr. Ashton. Jesus Christ. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Moss and his buddy Johnny did this um, golf tournament for 30 years called the Ross where they would go and play a different Ross every single year. And so we had both of them on for one of our earlier pods. So if you ever have a, you know, a little bit yeah, of time, I'll have you're to on go plane, back and listen to that. What, it's what a was good the, one. What was like the unequivocal, did they go back to the same place ever? Or was it a new place every year? They well, had some repeats. They played mid pines a lot. I they think Mid Pines was, was the one that they rules. repeated the most. Um, yeah. But they tried to change it as much. The older they got, the more they, they started repeating them. Um, yeah. 
but they had this running list and it, it, if you listen to the pod it's fantastic because the reasons that they would eliminate people from the invite and invite new people are the best thing ever because if they played too well you'd get booted like it was just like or if you just were a horrible guy and people didn't vibe with you you're booted so they had all these really like unspoken rules of and then guys would get offended because they didn't get invited the next year and it just love it epic 30 years of of stories stories of guys cheating and all all kinds of stuff all kinds of shit and it's just it's the best and what we've got about like three or four more pods to do with them to to cover all the stories that they have all right it's all good yeah i'm gonna write that down um we we, we can send it to you just so you can find it okay Uh, yeah all right cool we're we're actually going to try to do our own our own golf tournament so we're going to do me and me and my dad's buddy are going to be captains which we'll send you guys the invite we're going to call it the modern (laughs) golden age invitational if you guys want to come we're going to change it between send it along man sometimes sometimes stuff works out schedule wise we can you know we're gonna we're gonna start off at soul park and rustic so it's a place y'all feel we'll we'll, we'll twist your arm too hard to come out yeah yeah, yeah. So, we'll have to get Poosh out there too. Poosh is uh, absolutely. Poosh yeah. has been playing we, at Soul Park like crazy lately. We, we actually on so our last golf trip, we played at Sandpiper, and I was like, I was just like, I was like, hey, we're here. If you're here, we'd love to buy you beer. He's like, I was there yesterday. <laughs> I'll be there tomorrow, but I'm not there today. Yeah, um, yeah. He's got a he, he's got a young kid too, so he's he's kind of burning it at both ends right now. So. Yeah. yeah, I've been seeing his post about like any Santa Barbara childcare. I'm like, okay, that's I yeah. understand. Yeah. Like, maybe you can't come out to meet a bunch of dumbasses yeah. and sit at Sandpiper. <laughs> exactly. But I, I guarantee you, he thought about it. Yeah. You know, oh, he's his a degenerate. Definitely like, uh, seemed like, damn, I would actually yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. Oh, he's a man, dude. Yeah, he'll he will drop anything at the at the drop of a hat and and. Yeah get out there and play so yeah um, and also i think we might have told you over but we've got a, a couple of our uh we have a little hat we're sending a couple to you guys too so those are in the mail as of oh, today nice. so thank you guys. i was, I was in the middle of moving back to portland so they were packed up away so now that it is covered them i'm able to to mail them off to you so we got a couple of our municipal municipal's hats coming your way awesome we love it guys well, well thanks so much for having me this was awesome and, and yeah like i said would love to come back on at some point and uh and yeah please please send over that ross uh that ross podcast that sounds yeah, that sounds we'll like do. exactly like perfect perfect like road trip or flight material so the, the stories yeah. are too good you're gonna enjoy it love yeah. it love it awesome. all right tron thanks tron hey have a good all night right, guys thanks you too see ya, see ya. Uh,